0: Hey everyone! Welcome back to our Finance Fridays. Uh, no, wait, no, I was wrong. Okay, bloopers, are fine. bloopers are good. <laughs> start start over again. Start over. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to our Financing Simplified podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Venudo. And uh, today I have the honor and privilege to bring in one of our uh, re- referral partners, actually one of our lawyers, Mark from By Mark Law. I'm going to flip it over and get uh, Mark to introduce himself right now. Mark, uh, take it away. Thanks. First off, and thanks for having
1: me on the podcast. A um, little bit about myself. So as you said, I'm a lawyer. I have a practice uh, in Vaughan, and I practice real estate, estates, and corporate law. I uh, started my practice on Bay Street A few after a few years on Bay Street, sort of slept on my desk one too many nights practicing corporate law, doing large transactions, and I thought there's got to be a better way to do life, and I said, let me do something entrepreneurial and go it on my own, start my own practice and uh work with people who uh sort of north of the city people uh who are you know a little bit more in line with my my mindset and uh so rather than talking to you know uh c-level executives investment bankers things like that i get to talk to you know nice guys like you (laughs) who would like to go with go go for dinner with on a friday night that's Uh, that's it's been been quite a ride
0: yeah well i appreciate that mark no it's awesome it's uh it's definitely a different world. We were just talking a little bit off camera before about the banter, about the uh, sort of the perception of lawyers and stuff like that. And I guess that falls to what we said more in the corporate world, right? Compared to uh, the real estate world, where we need we need lawyers like you guys to to help us complete transactions a lot, especially for a lot of first time home buyers, uh, walking them through the process of you know getting that uh, officiated right? closing their deal. Which brings me to sort of the reason why we want to do these podcasts and sort of help educate, bring that financial literacy. Uh, too many of our viewers. So, walk us through. Like, what are some of the major reasons or the major things that a first-time homebuyer who's buying using a lawyer to close should be aware of uh, when when dealing with a lawyer? Yeah. So, the first thing is, I would say, reach out early and retain your lawyer
1: early. Uh, you should lay out clearly what kind of what level of communication you can expect from the law office and who you're going to be. Reaching out with, so when you're going to be liaising with a, a law clerk or a legal assistant, when you're going to be, uh, in, uh, be able to speak to the, the solicitor, um, you should have an idea as to timelines and understand what information your lawyer needs from you. And you should understand that, that those information requests may change from time to time. Uh, we might have certain information that we take on when we open up a file and then we might need supplementary information based specifically Mm -hmm. on mortgage instructions, for example. So you should keep in touch with your lawyer to make sure that you give him all the information that he needs to close your file. Um, You should understand when your lawyer is going to need funds from you for the closing. Um, and you should understand specifically like what it is, what value the lawyer adds to the transaction, what their role is in the transaction. And I can speak a little bit to that right now, if you'd like.
0: Absolutely. I've actually, we are going right down the path where I wanted to go because we've worked together multiple times yes. on closings and so many times uh, there could be, you know, the funds are not issued to your trust account mm-hmm. in time. You know, there's all these issues where you have to face uh, the potential of, you know, that five o'clock deadline is right for, for registration. Yes, you have to register by five by o'clock. By five yeah. o'clock. And sometimes the lenders, depending on the type of lender that you're working with, you know, last minute communication, you know, con- continue on. Tell us a little bit more about, about that process. Want to hear about a smooth transaction or uh, about hiccups? What do you, you know, mean? I think we should go back and forth on that, sure, actually, sure. to be honest, because there's majority of the times things are pretty smooth. Yes. Uh, but there are opportunities where uh, things do have, you do run into hiccups. And I'm going to be honest when, as I said, dealing with your team and uh, other professionals. Uh, and then there's obviously those discount ones. Uh, I don't want to really get into that. But, I mean, I want to work with somebody who has been doing the transaction. So, you know, let us know. Like, Tell us, tell us actually about a recent, stereo, uh, recent scenario. Recent scenario of a hiccup on a transaction. Um, so, I, I had
1: a deal where a client was closing a new build house. And the lender needed an appraisal as lenders do, uh, the appraisal and the lawyer has no, uh, sort of, provides no input or instruction or, or gives any guidance on the timing of the appraisal, doesn't arrange for the appraisal. It's something that's dealt with usually between the mortgage broker or the, or the bank and the, and the, uh, the appraiser directly. In this case here, there was an appraiser that was engaged, uh, and it was an appraiser who was unfamiliar to the parties involved, to the mortgage broker, because it's August uh, in Ontario and people are out on vacation. So their, their A appraiser, first, first choice appraiser wasn't around. Their second choice appraiser wasn't around. They had to go to, with somebody who they had never worked with before. And this particular appraisal team, the bank required very specifically who the borrowers were, the, the borrower names to be included on the appraisal. And this was a situation where we had four parties on an agreement of purchase and sale. So it was, say, call it a a mom, dad, son, and daughter-in-law, for example, right? So you have mom, dad, son, and daughter-in-law all on the agreement of purchase and sale. And the mom and dad were saying, we're on the agreement of purchase and sale, but we don't want to take title to the property. We're not going to be on the mortgage. We'll be on the hook if the if our kids default and they don't close the property. So we're, we're on the agreement of purchase and sale and we can be sued if the transaction doesn't close. But we're not taking title to the property. We're directing that title be given just to the daughter and the son-in-law and they signed documentation to this effect to satisfy me they signed documentation to this effect to satisfy the vendor and they signed documentation to this effect to satisfy the lender the people who weren't satisfied by this documentation quite unreasonably so were the appraisers so we ran into a situation where the appraisers insisted that all four names of the parties to the agreement of purchase and sale be added to the party uh, be added to the appraisal as borrowers And the bank was refusing to accept this uh, this appraisal. So I spent about 20 minutes, uh, the the broker spent half his day trying to correct the, the appraisal company saying that even though there are four parties on this agreement, there are only two parties who are borrowers because title is being directed to two of the purchasers and the other two are just on the hook for contractual liability. The the So despite his best efforts, his, his heroic efforts, the broker wasn't able to fix the situation, I spent about 20 minutes to half an hour on the phone with the appraisal company trying to explain, saying, listen, I'm the solicitor for both the bank and for the borrowers because on a residential mortgage transaction, there's one lawyer that represents the bank and the borrowers which means that the lawyer can keeps you know keeps your secrets generally and there's generally lawyer client confidentiality but in a in a uh, a situation where the parties consent to the lawyer acting for the bank and the borrower notwithstanding the conflict the lawyer can't keep secrets from uh, keep oh, the yeah. bank secrets from the borrower or the borrower secrets from the bank so in this situation here i was able to reach out to the appraiser and say uh, right letter to the appraiser saying, we had a phone conversation. I am counsel to bank. I am counsel to Bor- to borrowers please accept this as confirmation that the uh, title on the closing is to be held solely in the name of these two individuals these two individual individuals are the bor- borrowers who are to be listed on your appraisal here's a copy of the draft transfer that's going to be registered in the registry system showing that only two of the four parties are taking title here's a copy of the draft charge showing that only two of the borrowers are going to be on the mo- two of the, uh, the parties to the agreement of purchase and sale are going to be on the mortgage and long story short the appraiser so i basically said i'm the solicitor for both parties i direct you this is what the, if you want your appraisal to be accurate you must lay it out this in this way and i signed it and to my knowledge they didn't they being the appraisers didn't act in accordance with the direction and funds were delayed because they failed to act in accordance with those instructions. They were very stubborn, um, and the transaction we ended up having to get a one-day closing extension. So that's an uh, that's an example of where the uh, borrowers are on the ball, the vendor is on the ball, the mortgage broker is on the ball, the lawyer is on the ball, and despite everybody's best efforts, and that file probably took an extra you know two to three hours than I would have you than I would budget for for a real estate transaction. Uh, despite everybody's best efforts, that's an example of a hiccup. That, that something didn't go wrong. And that's why you, I think when people ask for, uh, when people interview and, and, and determine who they want to represent them, which lawyer they want to retain, you want to retain a lawyer that doesn't treat real estate transactions as cookie cutter, because that's an example of how not all real estate transactions are cookie cutter. Some lawyers approach it that way. They price it that way. They run the files that way. But really you're making you know, in, in most cases, the biggest investment of your life, right? And you want to make sure that you have somebody on your team who is, uh, works well with the other parties involved in the transaction and who is able and willing to parachute in personally and do whatever they can do to save the day. And I remember actually that day there, I wanted to get these clients, the property so bad that, uh, the, you know what, I I stand corrected. I said that they, they, so the, the, uh, Appraisers did not revise their appraisal. The lender said we 're going to fund regardless, and we got the the okay that they were going to fund at four o 'clock and The only way to move money between four o 'clock and five o 'clock is a wire's not going to hit, so you have to literally physically go and certify a check at your bank and go deposit it at the bank of the vendor to make sure that the deal closes. So I remember. Once we got the okay that the funds were uh, potent- were, were going to be put in our trust account imminently, I left the, I left my office at four o'clock and I literally sat and waited at my bank asking the teller to update my my account status to see if the money was going to hit my account before five o'clock so that I could in, ru- in a rush certify a check, go send it to the go give it to the vendor's lawyer's office and close a deal for these people. And I did that personally to try to preserve that deal. Unfortunately, the money arrived at 515. Uh, and it was too late to go and, and make the deposit and close the transaction. But that's just an example of how, you know, uh, sometimes there are hiccups and, and you just try to leave everything on the field to, to close the deal.
0: I, I, I mean, I'm telling you, I know, I feel stories like that. And I think I feel like we might've been interacting. I think we know this, some similar story like this, yeah. uh, we were dealing with it while we were in Calgary. Um, and something like that, I think, I think it was with your office too, actually. Yes. If, if, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I can tell you right now, like I said, these are experiences like with uh, particular lenders on the B space sometimes. Uh it can be very challenging. And you do need to have a lawyer that actually can represent you because I've worked with so many clients who have used some of these discount lawyers and they're nowhere to be found. It's like it's it's literally as you said, they treat it as a cookie cutter deal. They generally don't know how to bounce on uh on a situation when it arises. And it can just be, it spells a disaster for some of these clients, especially in today's world um, when you have maybe rate holds and things that are happening and specific deals have to close by a specific time um, and, you know, lender conditions, what happens if it's on the weekend, what happens, you know, if it's a, you know, Thursday, we always tell clients to try to avoid closing deals on a Friday um, just because you don't want to run into a situation like that. But I think it's really good for, for our viewers to understand the importance of what a lawyer a good lawyer can actually bring to the table uh, and add value when going through that transaction okay. now obviously there's the, those cases like that but you know working with clients on a general first-time home buyer basis um you know like doing your checks and stuff like that what are the things that sort of you do as the, as in the process of uh, going through the transaction with the client
1: you're going to have standard uh, information requests i always give my clients a call uh, initially to review the agreement of purchase and sale with them take title instructions to let them know their options for uh, joint ownership of title if they mm-hmm. want for example to own title with a, have whole title with a right of survivorship so that if an one owner passes away, the surviving owner or owners receive that deceased owner share. Or if it's like, Two brothers investing in an investment condo. You wouldn't want a right of survivorship because if you if you pass away, presumably you would want your your investment to go to your wife and go out in accordance with your will, not your brother. So you talk about title options. Uh, You set the stage. You talk a little bit about your title search, what you're going to do, a little bit about the risks that that may that your title search uh, may disclose and may need to you may need to manage, and a little bit about the risks that your title search will not. Uh, will, will not be focused on, but the risks that will be addressed by purchasing a policy of, of title insurance. And you talk a little bit about title insurance, what it is, how much it costs, why basically every residential real estate transaction in Ontario cl- closes through title insurance rather than the, than the alternative, which would be uh, an old school lawyer's opinion on title. Um, so yeah, those are the those are the things. And then I give people people like to have an idea of timelines, even of even something like when can I expect my keys on the closing day. Some people ask me this like the day that I, I talk to them on the uh, <laughs> to take on the file, right? So I like to get into the nitty gritty. Clients really just want to know. It, it, it's important to have open communication and dialogue with your lawyers. So that your lawyer. Uh, so that you know what your lawyer expects of you and your lawyer knows what you expect of him. So that that open and honest communication is integral in, in the lawyer client relationship the same way it is in the, the doctor client relationship or the, the, you know, the mortgage broker client relationship. But we talked a lot about scary scenarios. Right. And I just want to let people know, like probably I would say 90 to 95 percent of transactions close without any hiccups and you might ask well what can i do to ensure that i'm in the 95% that close smoothly and not in the 5% where there are potentially late hiccups closing day hiccups i mean the only thing you can do is is communicate with your law office make sure that they have what you what you ask for and uh, and i would say and make sure that you make financing arrangements as early as possible because the earlier your lawyer gets mortgage documents and security instructions, the sooner he can start preparing your transaction, the more likely that these hiccups, which would be discovered on the closing day are instead discovered three or four days before the closing day, giving you enough time to deal with them. So stay on top of your financing team to have mortgage documents sent to your lawyer, and stay on top of uh, stay on top of uh, your law office if necessary to check. Hey, do you have the mortgage instructions? Can we get the, these documents signed? Uh, we're usually pretty proactive with
0: that. Yeah, you guys are really good with that stuff. Yeah, and as, as I said, we try to get all our documents, especially if a client's purchasing, they got a closing ninety days out, or the cases we try to get those instructions out as soon as possible. For most of our years, most lenders send it out about thirty days before. Usually, that's a, a good. A timeline, uh, but it is important to be on top of it because sometimes, even on our end, our systems or portals will say, "Hey, it's instructed," but guess what? <laughs> Where did it go? Who got it? Uh, yeah. Sometimes it's always important to check yeah. that.
1: And to your credit, you're, yeah, you guys are fantastic with that. You guys are excellent with that. That's why we always love working with InTouch.
0: We, we definitely try. As I said, that's one thing. And then said, you mentioned title insurance and like that. I think a lot of times it's uh, a lot of viewers don't understand. Maybe some of our viewers, first, first time home buyers, they may not really understand what is title insurance We try to explain it to them. But uh, title insurance is, is misunderstood uh, in the marketplace
1: generally um and i would say that there's a lot of uh misinformation there about title insurance uh and and ways to protect title to property like i get questions probably you know once every 3 or 4 months about oh you know if i have a house that's that's uh mortgage free should i put a mortgage on it that's going to prevent fraud so i have all kinds of questions people asking about um we had a Unfortunately, we had a series of transactions in the real estate industry over the winter, and it happens from time to time, where there were fraudsters who sold a house and attempted to abscond with the money. They weren't actually the vendors. They impersonated the vendors, duped a lawyer into uh, believing they were the vendors. Uh, So title insurance is there are... So let's talk about the alternative to title insurance. The alternative to title insurance, you know, 40 years ago, uh, real estate lawyers would issue things called opinions on title. And that's basically the real estate lawyer saying, we've done, we've ordered searches and we are giving you our opinion that your rights to the property are good. There might have been some qualifications back in the uh, to that opinion. Uh, but generally speaking, we'll say that there are no tax arrears. All the buildings used, uh, all, all the structures on the property lie within the lot line. The fence is on the lot line. We have a survey. We've written all these municipal departments. There are no utility arrears. There are no tax arrears. There are no open work orders. Um, so your real estate lawyer would have, would have taken uh, a more expansive approach to his retainer. Uh, so he would have been responsible for more. He would have had more liability. And he would have confirmed for you that he would have given you an opinion and said, title is good. Nowadays, we we still do a title search, but we don't uh, delve into all the, we don't give an opinion saying that yes, title is, is, is perfect and it's squeaky clean, right? Subject to a handful of qualifications. What we say, what we do in the real estate industry is we will pull the pin page from the registry office and we'll look at what registered encumbrances there are. So there might be some easements uh, easements are rights of third parties to uh, make use, limited use over certain parts of the property. So there might be a bell easement because there are uh, telephone lines at the back of a property that run under the back of a property. There might be a hydro easement because there are underground works, mm-hmm. right? So we'll, we'll be able to tell you about registered easements. Uh, we will do execution searches to make sure that there are... No so make sure that when people are selling real estate that there are no that they're not judgment creditors. So people uh in respect of whom a court has said, you know, uh the vendor owes owes money to this plaintiff in connection with this uh action, and uh and any time this real estate is sold, the this this uh rate of execution has to be paid out. This debt has to be paid out. So we'll do searches like that. Um but there are all kinds of other searches. Like we, for example, in residential real estate, there are generally no surveys ordered. Uh, oftentimes there aren't, tax certificates aren't, aren't ordered. Utility certificates aren't ordered. Work searches aren't done. Uh, work or Open work order uh, permit searches aren't done. So unless you specifically include those in your retainer with your lawyer, say these are the searches that I want done because I want to make specific uses of the property. Like maybe I want to build a pool and it's really mm-hmm. important to me mm-hmm. if there are any underground easements that, such that I can't build my pool. That might be something that you want to discuss with your lawyer say what exactly are you going to get what opinion are you going to give me on title can you tell me whether or not there are easements and where the easements are and in that case your lawyer may say okay well that's not part of my usual retainer but what we'll do is we'll have to order a survey in this case here because you have very specific use that you want to make of the property so title insurance what it does is it takes a number of matters that would have usually been included in a lawyer's opinion on title and it says we're going to buy a policy of insurance we're not going to do certain searches, but we're going to buy you a policy of insurance that's going to cover you if you suffer any financial loss as a result of those risks materializing. Mm-hmm. And there are a number of qualifications and caps to that coverage. So that's really the purpose of title insurance in Ontario. That's one of the one of the main main aspects of coverage is to cover you from certain against certain risks that your lawyer would have previously d- done research and, and given an opinion on.
0: Yeah.
1: Can I say one more very important thing about title insurance Absolutely. for 30 seconds? Okay. As
0: soon as he's done that, mm-hmm. we wrap it up and we introduce the second part to come. Okay. I'm just going to end off with, because I want to just make sure that people Absolutely. understand that title insurance in, in, in Ontario is mandatory. Perfect. Uh, I mean, it's, it's 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 you,
1: it's not, we can't say that it's, it's never mandatory. It's always an option, but it's the only option that people w- would reasonably choose because okay. most lawyers would not, were, are not trained to draft that opinion on title. Okay, so that's okay. important. So, all right, to, so, so, so,
0: so finish I'm off, finish off your your. All your right, point. so yeah. Three, two, one.
1: And the other thing that title insurance covers you against, uh, or will indemnify you in respect of, is fraud. So it, it, those instances that I referred to of the vendors who weren't really the owners of the property who sold the property, uh, who's left holding the bag at the end of the day when there are fraudsters who abscond with mortgage money and purchaser money, it's the, the title insurance company that's left holding the bag at the end of the day. So um, the title insurance will cover you for for fraud on closing, and it will cover you. For most policies will cover you for fraud for the duration of the period that you hold your house. So if somebody pretends to be you and puts a mortgage on your house and you have to pay to have it removed, the title insurance company will usually help financially with those costs. Wow, that's
0: incredible. And I can imagine that's happened. We've definitely read news articles uh, to that effect. Uh, But obviously as title insurance here, as we we talk to clients about mortgages uh, and the requirements sort of as we were going through that process they should be reaching out with a lawyer first but is title insurance mandatory or you know is it something that you would suggest as a lawyer representing them that they should be taking it's not it's not so it is optional uh you can always get a lawyer's
1: opinion on title uh that's a possibility theoretically having said that it's not an op a lawyer's opinion on title most lawyers would probably not feel comfortable drafting that sort of that sort of opinion usually opinions on title now in the legal real estate profession are reserved for large commercial transactions where the cost of the policy, because it's an insurance policy. So insurance policies Mm -hmm. are based on the the potential liability. The potential liability is tied to the purchase price. So if you're buying, you know, a commercial building for, you know, tens or hundreds of millions of dollars downtown, it might make more sense to hire a, a very specialized real estate lawyer, uh, in a downtown firm or in a boutique real estate law firm to provide an opinion on title because the cost of the policy would be astronomical relative to the opinion mm-hmm. but from a practical perspective real estate transactions in Ontario uh, um, for when whenever I have discussions with my clients about their option they options they I've always chosen title insurance. Uh, and I, like I said, I think that most lawyers would not even be in a position to provide you with that alternative, which is is a, a, an opinion on title.
0: Just take the title insurance. I mean, look at all the stuff it covers pretty much. But uh, Mark, you know what? We're going to, We'll be back uh, with uh, Mark from Mark Law, But uh, Mark, where can they find you? You have social, website. Oh, they can go to my uh, website. I don't
1: have any social media. I, I don't do any marketing. Uh, they can come into my office at Keelan Rutherford, knock on the door and have an espresso. Or uh, best thing to do is uh, just go to bymarklaw.com. Uh, B-Y-M-A-R-K-Law.com. And you can get my contact particulars there, call my office, reach out to me. I'm happy to chat.
0: I'll put your information in the uh, podcast episode. But once again, thanks for tuning into our Financing uh, Simplified podcast. And we'll see you on the next part. Thanks again for tuning in.